Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Little Sleep Show. It's been a really interesting week for me. This past week I was actually in Naperville, Illinois which is about an hour from where I live. And I actually stayed out there all week long because I was at a certification training for a CLC, which is a certified lactation counselor. So something I've been interested in learning a lot more about is about breastfeeding and how to support families that are breastfeeding. Just because sleep and and nursing and sleep and eating are just so tied together. The nutrition that the child gets during the day how many feedings are happening at night. And so I just wanted to be in a place where I really understood all that before I started giving families my advice and suggestions on it. So that was what I was doing last week. And it was really challenging. And it was challenging to be away from my family. It was challenging because we were sitting in lectures for about seven hours a day. And then we had homework. Mind you, I haven't been in college since 2003, and that was culinary school. So it wasn't even sitting in lecture halls all day. Um, And then we had to sit for a board exam at the end of the week. And honestly, I don't even know if I passed. So just something kind of cool that I wanted to share with you guys. And I'll be talking more about it in the coming weeks and months. I'm definitely going to do an episode focusing on nutrition and sleep. And I will add some breastfeeding information in in there along with talking about bottle feeding, talking about introducing solids and what are pro-sleep foods and anti-sleep foods. So that's coming up in the next month or so. So I'm really happy that I'm able to do this podcast for you guys. I thought I wasn't going to be able to get it done. And I have an awesome producer, Chris from the podcast basement, who produces some really cool podcasts here in Evergreen Park, my hometown. He was so gracious enough to let me record this on a Sunday night. And I usually record it on a Wednesday or Thursday. So thanks, Chris. So this week, guys, I'm talking about holistic sleep. How do I look at sleep in a holistic way? And what what does that even mean? I printed out some definitions. According to the dictionary, the definition of holistic is characterized by comprehension of the parts of something as intimately interconnected and explicable only by reference to the whole. And in medicine, It's characterized by the treatment of the whole person, taking into account mental and social factors rather than just the symptoms. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of where I'm coming from when I talk about looking at sleep in a holistic way. So I'm looking at the whole picture of the family. I'm looking at the lifestyle, the energy of the home. How many parents are working in the home? What kinds of jobs do those parents have? What is the activity level of the child? Is the child getting enough socialization? What is the nutrition like of the child and of the parents? What are the relationships within the home, the dynamics of the family? Are there siblings and how do they get along? So those are just some of the questions I ask. I have a questionnaire when I start working with a family, probably about four or five pages long that people fill out for me. And it gives me a really good peek into maybe where the challenges could be coming from. Because any sleep challenge, it it might look like it's related to sleep or schedule. And it is. And typically we can shift a schedule around and we and that will help. But if we don't look at the big picture of the family and what is going on, particularly with emotional well-being, which I'll talk about in a little bit, if we don't look at that big picture, 
whatever fix that we do is going to be temporary. And so that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this topic because there's so many different sleep methods out there. So many books, websites, everyone has their own little magical method to get their child to sleep. Often parents will come to me very confused about what to do, what not to do, what works, what doesn't work. I just try to explain to them that I don't use any of these methods. I don't use sleep training, although I used to, and I've talked about that in the last episode a little bit. I'll talk about it again in a minute. But the way that I look at sleep now is how can we get to the root of what is happening? When I did my certification course on holistic infant and child sleep consulting last year, I chose the program that I chose because I really wanted to expand my knowledge and I wanted to learn a way of looking at sleep that would apply to every single family if they chose to work that way. Because I find that a lot of methods, cry it out, Ferber, those kind of methods, the sleep lady shuffle, you know, you really have to know your child and your family to know whether or not that method is going to work for you. And then on top of that, yes, you're training your child to stay in bed in certain w- different ways, but you're not figuring out what the underlying cause of the reason they're having these sleep issues in the first place. And that was what attracted me so much to the Holistic Science of Sleep program. And this was developed by Mar DiCarlo. She's the founder of our program in our school. She's a really accomplished woman. She taught us to find the root of the problem. If you keep going down, 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 you always find the roots of the tree. And when I start working with a family, we'll uncover certain things right away. Usually there's scheduling that needs to be moved around. Uh, Sometimes it's certain a number of naps, those kinds of things. You know, introducing a bedtime routine, quiet time in the evening, quiet time before nap. Yes, those things absolutely help. And I couldn't work without adjusting schedule and routine. But once those are adjusted, a lot of times there still are challenges. I'm working with a couple of families right now where we did that. We adjusted schedule, things started looking up, and then a week in or two weeks in, we still have sleep challenges. So we have to keep going and uncovering what the root of these challenges really is. Some of the ways I work with sleep holistically are showing up for the child, meeting the child where they're at. If the parents want to help the child through their challenge with a using a method where they do, let's say, time checks, where you tell the child, I'll be back in two minutes to check on you, but you need to stay in your bed. If this is a child that's going through a big developmental leap or there's been a big change in family dynamics, for instance, adding a sibling, they're needing a lot of parental attention and interaction. And they need it during the day, of course, during wakeful times. But they're also going to need that extra bit of help getting to sleep. With those families, I will have them usually sit in the room with the child until they fall asleep. And eventually the child will get used to the parent's support and they'll be able to fall asleep without it. This could take weeks. This could take months. So when I start working with a family in this way, I talk to them and tell them that this is not a quick fix. This is not going to be you know, nights one through three, this is what we do. And nights four through six, this is what we do. Because it's different for every family and every child. But what I can tell you is that I usually work with a family for a minimum of three weeks. And in those three weeks, we usually uncover all kinds of interesting little factors that were holding the child back from getting 
good sleep. Another thing I talk to families about when I start working with them is that we need to look at progress in a way of, is it trending up or is it trending down? Is the general direction that we're moving up, even though we might be going two steps forward, one step back, then one more step forward, two steps back, but are we moving in the right direction? Are we on the mark with the things that we're trying out with regards to your child's sleep? And when I say trying out, that's a big part of the process with me. We have to do quote unquote experiments with your child's sleep because you are there with them all the time. I'm not there with them. Yes, I check in on a daily basis. I get the schedule and the sleep logs, but I don't see what the interactions look like on a daily basis. And a lot of times I'll give a suggestion to parents and I'll say, try it, try it for two or three days and give me some feedback and tell me what you think. Is this working for your child? Is this not working for your child? For instance, I'm working right now with a four and a half month old and we're trying really hard to get his wake windows right, which is the period periods of wakefulness between sleep. And that can really help with little ones Uh, preventing them from getting overtired between sleep periods rather than having naps at a certain time of day. And we've been playing with these wake windows now for probably the last week and a half, give or take five or 10 minutes here or there, just to try to get it right. And then of course, in a couple of weeks from now, it's going to all change again because in the first year, sleep changes so much. But we try our very best to not let our children get overtired. That's a very big part of what I do. And that's a big priority for my families when I'm working with them. So some of the foundations of the holistic science of sleep method are the expectations and beliefs for sleep. Again, this is something that I like to discuss with families before we even start implementing anything is culturally, we are taught that if your child isn't sleeping through the night at a certain age, you have a bad sleeper. You're doing something wrong. Everything that I've learned over the last 17, 18 years, is that every single child is completely different and actually no one sleeps through the night. We have sleep cycles that we go through throughout the night and nap time too. And those sleep cycles can vary anywhere from 45 minutes for a small child to around 90 minutes for a grown adult. And every time we reach the end of one of those cycles, we can have something called a partial arousal. So it's when we're in a very, very light stage of sleep. And if everything in the environment is not perfect, so the way that it was when you fell asleep, it's nice and cool, it's dark, it's quiet, or there's white noise, for example, you know, I don't have to go to the bathroom, the covers aren't all messed up, then I'll be able to transition into the next cycle, no problem. Now, if any of these, any one of those items is not in the right place, or not correct, then we're going to have a problem transitioning to the next sleep cycle without waking up. And that's when when children are having many night wakings, that can be a big part of why that's happening. The environment is not correct, or they're dependent on parental intervention, rocking, holding, feeding, those kinds of things to get them back to sleep. And so every time they're waking up, they need to be helped put back to sleep. Now, of course, it's up to the individual family how long they want to intervene for their child. And then even when they teach their child to be a little more of a self-soother, there's going to be so many times 
throughout the years when your child is going to need extra help with getting to sleep or falling back to sleep. So this is not a one and done thing. And I think that's where a lot of parents have some misconceptions that once I put my child through this sleep training, they're going to be a great sleeper and I'm never going to have to help them sleep again. And it doesn't matter what method you use, whether you use holistically looking at sleep, whether you use cry it out, whether you use the sleep lady, any of those methods, when your child is going through something emotionally difficult, they're going to need more help and they're going to need your presence there because nighttime is a very vulnerable time. Children have a lot of fears, rational and irrational. Anxieties and emotions that aren't processed through the day are going to come out at night. And so this is what I see a lot of when I'm working with a family. I really try to get into what's going on in the home, what has changed recently, what are the relationships like? Because if there's a new sibling, a lot of times a child will develop a night waking challenge because they want their parents' attention at night because they know they can get it. And it's not a manipulation. This is just simply your child is wanting some extra attention from you. So when I work with a family with that challenge, for instance, we try to figure out ways that we can give the child the time and attention they need during the day and at bedtime so that they aren't looking for it in the middle of the night as much. And eventually they do learn to trust that. But again, this is not a fast process. Some children take a long time to trust that when they call for their parents, someone's going to be there for them. It just requires a lot of repetition. This way of solving sleep challenges, it is, it's not easy on the parents. Parents have to do a lot of work here, but what they're doing is supporting and loving their child through these challenges that they're having. And I'll tell you, most of the time, there is a lot of underlying emotion that's going on with the child. Either there's a lot of change or the child has unexpressed emotions or anxiety and they need their parents there with them just while they cry. So setting up realistic expectations. Are you ready and committed to this type of solving sleep challenges? If you want to tell your child you'll be back in a few minutes and shut the door and your child needs you emotionally, I can't recommend working that way because it's not going to solve what the real challenge is underneath. I've gotten the question, well, if a family comes to you and wants you to do cry it out, what would you do? And I'll take a minute here to give you a little bit of my history if you haven't heard the previous episode. So I was a nanny for about 17 years and I practiced uh, Dr. Weisbluth, Mark Weisbluth's method which was extinction or cry it out for most of those years. Most of the families I worked with wanted me to implement that style of sleep training because I was experienced in it and I knew it very well. Let me tell you, that method does work. However, there were some children that the method, no matter what we did, we did it perfectly. The schedule was perfect. The environment was perfect, that it wouldn't work for certain children. And that was the inspiration for me when I decided to become a sleep consultant of pursuing this holistic science of sleep method, because I knew that doing, picking one method and being an expert in it, in it was not good enough for me. I wanted to really help families and be of service to the families by solving what was going on underneath it all. 
I also take into consideration the parenting style. And I'm comfortable working with basically any parenting style. You know, I always tell families that whatever choices you're making, just make sure that they're the right choices for you and your your immediate family. Because I can support a family through most of the choices and decisions they make around sleep. But what is difficult is when a family is making choices because they feel like they should be doing something or family members are pressuring them to do something. That's not going to be, it's just not going to work in the long run for them because parenting is such a personal journey. It's from your heart. And if you're doing something that isn't true to who you are as a parent, and it just, it makes me sad when I hear parents coming to me saying things like, oh, we did this, we co-slept and I, we messed it all up, or I'm feeding my baby to sleep and I'm messing, I'm messing up his sleep. And I just, I feel for these parents because I know that this is what they really want to do, but they feel pressured, but they feel pressured from family members or from culture or people at work. And I really try to encourage families to make the choices that are right for them and for their baby. And we can always break a habit down the line in a gentle way when the family and the child are ready. I always say when things are not working for you anymore this way, then we can look at how can we change this scenario. Part of what I do is also looking at the parents' relationship to themselves and to each other. How are they taking care of themselves? How is their stress and anxiety levels? How is the relationship? Do they get to take time with each other? We can't pour from an empty cup. I'm sure you've heard that. I try to stress to parents that this is emotionally going to be challenging for you because you're going to be the rock. You're going to be the solid person there for your child as they process and go through whatever they need to go through to become a more peaceful sleeper. So when you're in that room with a child who's crying for 30 minutes and can't can't fall asleep, you have to be in somewhat of a good frame of mind. And so I encourage parents to always try to take three deep breaths before they go in the room with the child, just to center themselves and to remember why they're doing this. Again, I look at relationships to others in the home. Is there a parent that the child is particularly attached to right now? Is there a parent who's out of the home a lot because of work or shift work or travel? How are sibling relationships and uh, the child with the sleep challenge? How is their sleep challenge affecting the rest of the family? Is there a caregiver? And how close are they to the child? What kind of relationship do they have to the child? If it's a nanny or if the child is going to daycare, what kinds of relationships are are there. I also look at nutrition, really, really important part of sleep. So as I said in the beginning, I just took a course on breastfeeding and learned so much about the benefits for baby and mother, but also about the nutrition and how much is actually needed. How many feedings does your child need at night? And are you ready to wean your child or do you want to keep nursing your child? Again, this is one of those topics that people feel so pressured about. Moms come to me and they feel pressured that my child is too old to be feeding this many times. And so I look at that with them and say, well, what, what is a reasonable amount of times for your child to be nursing during the day? How much food are they getting? How much solid food is your child getting? Are they waking up asking for food? Because if your child's not getting enough food during the day, 
chances are that's going to disturb their sleep. And I have worked with families in the past who have unique challenges with eating, whether the child has reflux and now they have some food aversions. So it really encompasses the whole lifestyle and the whole day from wake up to bedtime. I talk about emotional well-being, as I mentioned earlier. Crib and room acclimation is something that I'm really big on. It's just a fancy way of saying playing in the room and in the crib and in the bed. I like families to incorporate 30 minutes minimum a day of playtime in the child's room and with the parents as much as possible. But I also like the parents to be able to give the child a book or a toy and say, I'm just going to go check on something. I'll be right back and see how your child reacts in their room. We want to get your child not only building happy, positive memories in their room when they're playing with you in there, but we also want to get them comfortable with being in there by themselves. If your child is sleeping in a room by themselves, which a lot of clients that come to me are looking to transition or looking to have their child stay in their own own room at nighttime. So many of these situations require gradual transitions, which is basically moving from the bed to on the floor to across the room to the doorway, those kinds of transitions and having the parent in there to support the child while they're falling asleep. What is the attachment like between the parents and child? If there's a situation such as a new sibling in the home or moving or a parent going back to work, in the child's eyes, this can threaten the attachment between the parents. And this can make the child seem more clingy, expressing more emotions during the night and at bedtime, fighting bedtime, because they don't want to be separated from the parent. I do talk about crying with families. Every single family I meet with, I do give them a little background on crying and the way that I like to look at crying. And if you haven't heard all about that on the last episode, episode two is all about crying and how crying is a form of communication. And it's not always something that our child needs us to fix, but rather we need to determine what is the need underneath the emotion and how can I support my child through this? If I meet all their basic needs, if they're not hungry, if their diaper is clean, if they're on a good schedule, then the child is crying because of something else. And as parents, we need to take a moment and pause and ask ourselves, why is this child crying at this moment? Do they just need to get some emotion out? If there's change going on, even even if it's positive change, a child will need to be able to get that emotion out because they aren't as good at handling changes in their lives like adults are. They need plenty of time with transitions and changes because children feel very out of control in many areas of their life. Well, probably in all areas of their life, except for what they can put in their mouth, right? I want to make sure things like circadian rhythms. So is the child's schedule biologically appropriate? Or is the child getting enough bright sunlight during the day? And is the family using lights in the home to signal sleep and awake? So dimming the lights before bedtime can really help bring the whole tone of the, of the household down to a very relaxing, peaceful level. A lot of families try that suggestion and really like it. And then really important is the sleep environment, because if that isn't correct, Anything we do is just going to be met with so much resistance. So at the beginning, I talked about darkness. The room should be pitch black. If your child does need to use a nightlight or if you need to use a light to tend to a small child, I always recommend a salt lamp and they make them with 
dimmer switches. And even if you turn it on the lowest dimmer, it can help you see in the dark. And I have one next to my bed and I absolutely love it because I can keep it on when I'm getting ready for bed for that 30 minutes before bed. And it doesn't stop my brain from producing melatonin, which is what brighter lights or blue or white toned lights do. They actually shut off the melatonin production in your brain. And I heard a podcast that said it can take up to three hours to turn that melatonin function back on enough to put you into a restful sleep. We also need the room to be cool enough to sleep. Your body temperature goes up at night, and so the room needs to be cooler. I always tell clients anywhere between 68 to 71, and to me, that's even warm. I keep my room at 67 at night, and I even crack the window even in wintertime just because when I wake up from those the sleep cycle wakings that I talked about, mine is always because I'm too hot. And so I like to keep the room pretty cool to sleep. And that's something up to the individual family. But if your child is consistently waking up all sweaty, it might be something to look at, how they're dressed and the temperature of the room. Also using a white noise machine is huge. And I'm going to do an episode all about like optimizing the home for sleep. But White noise just basically, again, it's with the sleep cycle, the partial arousals. If there's a noise during one of those partial arousals and your child doesn't need to hear it because of a white noise machine, they're going to keep sleeping if everything else is correct. Consistent schedule is huge and that's very much an individual item that I look at with each child and each family and where they're at developmentally. And then does the family have bedtime routine and rituals that they do before bed? This is such a great thing if you haven't implemented it yet to implement a consistent bedtime routine at night so that your child knows what to expect. And it also helps them physiologically because it prepares their brains that it's it's time to sleep now. When you start going through that bedtime routine and your child knows that routine, they're going to be much more prepared to go to sleep mentally and biologically. So I hope this gives you a little understanding of how I work with child sleep challenges in a holistic way. I know a lot of people don't understand what that means right away, and so I need to explain it in some detail. And also ask if this is the right solution for your family, because some families don't have the ability to take a month or two to solve their child sleep challenges. And that might not be the right method for you. This is a topic I'm super passionate about, and I'm really excited I got to share a little bit about it today with you. So as promised, I said I'd give you a reflection or connection at the end of every episode. This week, I'm going to give you a reflection. So with everything that you've heard in this episode, I'd like you to reflect on what are my expectations and beliefs around sleep for my child, the amount of crying that I should be tolerating how independently my child should be sleeping, developmentally where they're at, and think about how all those factors play into the challenge that may be going on for your child right now. I think it'll be an eye-opening experience because there's just so much pressure on parents to do things a certain way, the right way, especially when it comes to sleep, which is such an emotional issue. It just doesn't work that way. You have to do what's right for your family. And if you are thinking about tackling a sleep challenge, are you ready? What is your level of readiness and what is your level of commitment? Those are really important things to consider 
before you even begin to think about tackling your child's sleep challenge. Thank you so much for joining me once again. I absolutely love talking with you every week. I hope you guys have a great week. Until next time, be kind to yourself. We're all doing the best we can. Take care. We'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week. Bye.